Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oi, the boys and girls on Footy Prime on occasion are known to use vulgarities and frankly appalling language. And sometimes the tales can get quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. Oh, let's go! Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. You know that we are the number one show. So grab your fucking mitts and now it's time to go. Cause it's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. It's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. With Danny, Jimmy, Greg, and Andy, Jimmy, JC. All we know and all we talk about is booty, it's time to get this party started tonight. You're listening to Footy Prime, the broadcast, a broad perspective of all things footy. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. Hey, welcome to Footy Prime, the broadcast, um, where Rian Wilkinson just came to Emma Humphrey's rescue in tech, which are is a sentence you'll never hear me ever utter again. I got glasses, and now I'm good at tech. <laughs> Obviously, the no, Savior. So, thank you, Ben. <laughs> I'm going to introduce you properly. I want to introduce you properly, Emma. Not just bring you in with with Rian's aid here, but so um, yeah. So, Emma, you are the director of women's soccer development at Whitecaps, and you are the U17 head coach for the Canadian women's national team. Um, and welcome. We're so happy that you could join us today. And I know that you guys Thank just you finished, uh, yeah, a disappointing kind of result in terms of wanting to qualify for that U-17 World Cup. Um, and with Dominican Republic hosting, there were only two berths available. Um, but we want to talk to you about all kinds of stuff. So we're going to dive deep into that. Um, but I want to know a little bit more about you as, as a player and what it was like for you growing up and how you got into soccer and did you did you always envision yourself becoming a coach? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I I don't think I did always envisage myself becoming a coach. I um I actually stopped playing really young. Um, I was a, I was about twenty four, uh, yeah, twenty four, twenty five, something like that. Um, and I actually did a teaching degree. Um, I thought I was always going to be a teacher, so um. Yeah, I, like, I, went, I went through a bit of a weird period where I just sort of fell out of love a little bit with the game. and, um, and uh, But I kind of always knew I wanted to get into education. So I've been, 
I was kind of one of those kids that um, I, I played for my senior team really early. Um, I think I was first capped around 17 or 18. And um, I was given a lot quite quickly um, and probably didn't appreciate it. Um, and then, yeah, just like, you know, you 18, you 20 World Cup, senior World Cup, all, all, all like within a really short space of time. And it was just quite a lot for me. And so, yeah, like long story short, just kind of took some time away from the game and um, and then, um, yeah, thought I was going to be a teacher. But then I actually entered the classroom and was like, well, this is like a different piece. Um, with like 14-year-old boys phone spitballs or whatever at you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh and I'm a history teacher too like that so let's let's be real it's not like it's probably not the most exciting topic for kids but I love it um yeah 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 so I get more excited than they did um but uh yeah and then and, and then I moved back home like a different different period right where there was no professional football in New Zealand at that time um and uh and so just came home um John Herdman was our like director of football in New Zealand um and uh yeah job came up and ended up kind of getting into coaching probably because I didn't have a job at the <laughs> at the time but um yeah I obviously knew John because I played for him for about like eight nine years in in New Zealand he was like my U14s uh national team coach or whatever NDC equivalent and then went on to coach me U20s and senior team um so uh, yeah, I got pretty lucky getting into the game with John, and then like got a pretty good first impression of being a coach too. And then you left for a spell as well, right? You went to the US. Yeah, so yeah, so I played. I played in the US um, at college. Um, it probably like I, I didn't have the best college experience. Like I um, probably like if you look at me, my frame, like I'm I'm not really. <laughs> probably suited to NCAA um also probably like just like cultural difference to New Zealand to America like it was it was like a real culture shock for me I probably didn't play the best I could have played like didn't love the experience got caught up in going to uni instead a little bit and um and uh yeah so that that you know that period was an interesting period for me where um yeah, like you move away from your country. You've had a lot of success in a small country, you know, in a smaller country, and then um, opening it up to NCAA, probably a style that didn't suit me as much. And then, uh, yeah, but like the the positive was I got a really good education out of it. You know, I did I did eight years of uni or something like that when I was in America, and uh, it sort of come out the other side, um, you know, with an education degree, which massively helps me, obviously, with my understanding. Of, of being a coach too. Nice. Um, so Emma, I, I think I was telling Amy, you were in Canada, your your son was born in Canada. I love that you've got a Canadian son. Um, your your wife's Jack, in right? New Zealand, yeah, Jack, just like you, Amy. I've got a Jack as well. Oh, I didn't know that actually. Yeah, my oldest is Jack. He's 14, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're we're super proud to have a, a Canadian kid. I've got two. I've got a dog too. So when we first moved here, <laughs> um, uh, when we first moved here, yeah, Billy and Jack are our two sons. So um, 
yeah, we, again, like I, I was, I was about 25, 26 when I first moved to Canada. Um, and, um, and then Billy was, we're here with us like ever since then. So, um, he's getting a bit older now. I'm 37. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you moved, then you moved to the UK and I think you're assistant coach for Liverpool. You've come back to Canada. You're obviously from New Zealand. You went to school in the U.S. I was talking to Amy. It must be quite interesting to have such a diverse, different experience of the game. Um, what would you say Canada has that's different, that's special? Um, and where do you think we we need to put some attention after having so many different experiences? Yeah, I, I honestly think that that little like coming coming to Canada early, um, like I actually really consider myself kind of Canadian coach because I, I grew up coaching and like I didn't really have a huge bank of experience in New Zealand. I came here and you know like I, I've I've learned so much being in Canada. Um, but I actually so like forming that foundation here helps me understand what what I, I think Canadians expector is and understand like what it is to be Canadian as well and, 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 you know, to aspire to play for Canada. Like when you're in other countries, like the respect levels for any other country is never as high, you know, like when you're in Canada, you really feel it that people believe in, in the team and they know that we can be absolutely world-class. I think, I think what made me like really understand that though was going away and coming back. Um, so, you know, being in England, like just realizing, you know, what other countries' strengths and weaknesses are too. You know, you look at like the passing game in England, and it's like the technical level of 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 the passing game, pass move, understanding of of the whole game is is super high. But then you come back to Canada, and you're like, yeah, but like we're outrageously good at dribbling. We have outrageous forwards that can beat any team in the world. You know, like. And you kind of look at, like, you can't come back and go, like, oh, look at what every other country has. It's like, yeah, we're a massive women's football country and, like, we are absolutely world-class at what we do as well. So I think the danger when you go away is, like, oh, everyone else is good at this and we need to, like, we need to become like that. It's, for me, and, like, when Bev and I were having discussions about coming back, it's, like, it's not what everyone else is good at. Yeah, it's tweaking, like, our model, like, modern game, you know, what, what do we require that are going to bring out our best attributes the best? You know, what other things can we add that are going to bring out our X factor? It's not we want to change to be this or that, like Canada's world class in itself. It's like how do we enhance what we do is kind of the, the thought process, I think, a little bit more. Do you think changing the pathway, making it more varied, more robust, uh, with Project 8 coming in, what that will do for the pathway. Do you think that helps to add to our X factor? It helps to sort of develop different profiles. And then as those players get up towards the peak, get up towards the top and the national teams, then we have sort of more to offer in terms of, of not only tactical profiles, but player profiles. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's going to be a game changer. I, I can't wait. I think um, it's, it's what we're waiting for. You know, like I, I don't think it's any secret that like what we what we do in NDCs and with our national teams to a degree too is like is a stopgap because we don't have professional football yet to fully develop um, the country. You know, we we um, we need to really look at our model again. You know, like it's exciting. It's it's not that everything's gone wrong by any means. Like there's certainly a pipeline for the national team, but we. We need more than that, you know, like we need more players 
um, of that high-end quality. I think diversity with the type of player that we're going to start producing will become more too, um, you know, different. Like at the moment, it's it's what you know, a small group of people are thinking is is good for Canada. You know, and we we hope that like you know we're we're, we're doing a job in producing players for the senior team. But there's so many more good players out there and, you know, having different minds work on the kids too. Like maybe someone sees something that I don't in, in an individual. That happens all the time. And uh, we, we absolutely have to be missing talent, like 100%. That's why kids, like, develop outside of the system. Um, and I think there's going to be so many more out there as well that they would, could then go on to challenge for a national team as well. Um the other like big one for me is, you know, it's obviously it's no secret about like we're not the most resourced nation in the world, but we try our best to innovate. I think one of the big big gaps is meaningful competition for our kids. Yeah. Um, like you, nobody grows up like oh I can't wait to go to training. <laughs> you know, like I shouldn't. Oh well, I hope the NDC kids aren't listening too much. But Project Day, <laughs> but like, like that's our, that's our promo clip, Emma. We're gonna push yeah. that everywhere. <laughs> like no, nobody goes up like, oh, I can't wait to go to training. And you know, the, the the biggest thing that we know but we can't control is in the NDCs. Like we we play boys all the time. Um, again, like oh, Rian, I don't know if you know what it's like, but well, no, I know you know what it's like because we don't you play boys all the time. Like, uh, like when they get by you, sometimes you just want to grab them because it's like it's not always like completely realistic, or you know, like it's also not like like it's not like I'm playing for this, you know, like when you play against them, either, which is all part, like emotion is football, and um, and you lose that sometimes when you. But we're super grateful for the boys teams that play us, but um, there's elements you can't re- replicate either within it. And then you look at the NDCs and they all just win the league ones. It's like that that's not what I want <laughs> like that that like I want these kids to be stretched you know like I want them feeling the emotion of a win a loss a, you know everything that comes with it because you talk about like what some of those gaps are like meaningful competition whether it's at our NDCs whether it's with our youth national teams you know like that for me is is a huge gap right now in our system and 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 not just like our top three kids experiencing that you know like it's like a huge net of, of people that can experience that and go on to learn from all of those moments. And, and uh, yeah, like I, I just think that's the big gap right now that you, that project eight is going to massively help. Yeah. I think like, um, don't think people realize the challenge that you have as, as a youth national team coach. Um, you talked about the issues with having these centralized programs in some of our provinces, how many, how many players are missed? Because of course it's such a narrow window. Um, the lack of meaningful games. Um, you could play a boys team one month and the next month that boys team becomes a men's team. And so you've got to <laughs> find a new one. And also it changes how you play when you're playing boys teams, because you have to, you can't, the speed sometimes is that, that you, you can't, take risks at the back or you have to go more direct than you want to, or there's all these little things you adjust because you're playing, you're playing a team that's just fast. They're not better than you in terms of technical, but they're faster. So you make one mistake and they score and you've, there's a winning piece you've got. It's it's just a really, really challenging thing to adjust. Mexico's got their league going now. So their youth teams for the past 10 years have been doing extremely well. Haiti, a lot of their players live full-time in national team camps. 
Um, so just a reality check. How many camps did you have before going into this under 17 tournament? Um, we we had our um, pre-qualifiers was our first camp as a, as a group. Um, uh, we, you know, we get a scout through our NDCs and I, I visit the centres. Um, and then uh, we we're, were lucky enough to go to Portugal um, as a group. I, like, yeah, uh, maybe lucky enough is not, not the right term for it. But, like, yeah, we had a camp where we got to play two probably meaningful games before this World Cup qualifier. So uh, that's what I mean. It, like, we, we know that. Like, we, we know that that's a gap. Um, you know, Mexico's played 20 games. I think they played every top team in the world before they play us in that game. Uh, right. but I, I, that's just the ones I've scouted is, is I've seen them play Spain. I've seen them play France, you know, uh, again, Portugal. So we knew we had like a, a relative game that we could compare to that played Japan. That played, like they they've played all the best teams in the world because strategically that's what they can do. I think like, um, well, you know, it, it's hard because like you look at it and it still hurts. Like, like you're I can't sit here and go, oh, I'm happy with how we performed or I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get home because I'm so like, like it hurts because I know how good like our kids are and like I'll, I'll always look at what else I could have done, you know, whether it's my selections, whether it's like tactics again for the system, whether it's, you know, whatever that is. I think like, I think what we can, what we know is coming that's exciting is, we probably will never like like Mexico will probably like in the top two or three in the world with their resource. You know, you go like we've been third for a long time now. I think it was uh, it's like twelve years or something since we beat them at U seventeen level. I think what hurts is how close you come. Like you know, knowing knowing that we do everything to innovate. You know, we the NDC short term I believe are the biggest you know, the tool for us to provide that environment. It's not perfect. We will miss players, you know, of course. But to get that best with best environment is really important to us. And uh, But what's exciting, and if I'm the others, hopefully, like, like I think looking at our performance and anyone that watched the game would know how close that game was. It could have gone either way. Um, we probably had the better chances and didn't put them away. It's part of it. Um, Very cool. And- <laughs> yeah, it's killer. I know, I know, but but show the potential of it, and then you go, what's Project Eight going to add? Yeah. So if I'm if I'm like, yeah, it, like I said, it hurts. Um, but I also know we're not getting everything wrong. If I compare my last group, um, you know, and 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 we look back, you reflect. You, you have to. Um, and we we knew at that World Cup we weren't good enough. Like, um, and there were there were gaps in our game that we needed to change. We needed to change the curriculum. We needed to change um, quite a few things within our system. We we met together. We flew everyone in here and um, and uh, into Vancouver actually. Senior team staff, youth staff, like, and we made some big changes in our curriculum. And I think you could tell by like this the style of play that we're trying to do now that the kids are problem solving better, short game, long game, like, you know, our defending structures that uh, that work against top tier teams. And uh, you know, I, th- I think what hurts is coming that close. You know, as as the head coach, like, you feel like you've let that group down a bit. Like that's. That's a, I think, probably a natural feeling, and you know, I'll, I'll wear that. But like, it's, it's also you go, what individuals are coming through that, that yeah. 
system and I could rattle off like five or six that I believe like maybe even more that can play for Canada in that group yeah. and that that excites me more than anything um you know and that tournament can be what what knocks them on to win the U20 championship because we've got project eight coming for that group too or yeah. you know some of them like Kaylee Hunter's got two U20s uh yeah. in that mix so yeah, yeah. And, and you've got that you in a way like Canada soccer has its troubles. We're all aware, right? Like th they're doing what they can. I, I don't mean that to be that question to be a bash on that. Like what you guys are doing with the resources you have, what you hit on there is huge. I've I've suffered the pain that you're suffering, so I know it. I'm I'm aware that you're taking it on, but I also need to talk about realities. The number of players that Canada soccer um, through the 17s, 20s, are producing for our senior team. I think we have to be one of the best countries in the world to getting our youth players through to the senior. Um, what I'm really interested in, Bev, oh, Jesus, Emma, sorry. <laughs> I love how Emma, when we're trying to troubleshoot, jumping on StreamYard, and you were so proud of being able to help Emma and Emma saying, it was not Bev. Bev's the it tech expert. It me. wasn't Bev that <laughs> planted the seed. You were no. going to say it. God, sorry. Emma. I was, uh, what I wanted to ask is with the heartbreak of that, of that loss and knowing you weren't qualifying, what you managed to say, you and your staff, how you managed to turn that around for such a strong performance to finish third. Because that, for me, was really indicative of the group and how close you were and, and that performance then was probably one of the best of the tournament in a game that you could say it's meaningless, but it wasn't. It really left a, a, a statement. So how you managed to do that? Yeah, no, do you know what? It's one of the, it, it, this is what hurts. You can tell it's so emotional like for me. The, the, this group is one of the most connected groups off the pitch. Like the, there's so many fighters in that group that like just love Canada love playing for you. They gave everything like, like the, 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 the sobbing from the kids, you know, knowing that they're not going to a world cup was, was killer. I think like in, in my shoes, all you could do like is remind them what that means. Like remind them what the shirt is like. And, and the, it's not, it's, I say we, because I, I hope I'm almost allowed now. It's almost 10 years now in, in Canada, but like, you know, it's not, Bev actually said it, so I can't claim it. She's like, loves her little cheesy lines, doesn't she? But um, <laughs> well, she said uh, in Canada, it's not like, it's not what we do, it's how we do it. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I think like it's holding yourself high in those moments. Like it's it's knowing that we did ourselves proud in that game. Like like anyone watching it would would have seen that, and that they gave everything. Like there was nothing there was nothing left. You got Annabelle Chukwu, who's also been struggling with injuries too, by the way, playing through them. Same with Isabel, like just giving everything they they have. And and uh, I think like when they when they knew. Also, I think the big one for kids. It's like you haven't let anyone down guys like you have like like the, the young kids these emotions will drive them to be better like that's what i'm saying is like 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 this is what ndc is like this is what like those mo even for, for me like like this is what i love about the game and i missed when i had those two two years out is like I don't love losing. I'm the most competitive person out there. Like I'm so emotional. I just want to fight people when I lose. But um, <laughs> me, but, me like, and I don't know anything about that, Emma. At all. <laughs> but, 
but like but you like you that like drives you to never want that feeling again like I hate losing so bad that it drives me to win more you know and whether that's a good motivator bad like like the yeah you it doesn't matter because it's just what I what I do and some people love winning so much that's what that but I hate losing so much and these these kids will be the same like they they will have felt that that's such an important feeling nobody goes through life like like oh I only ever win things like that's just not a that's not a thing and so as much as it hurts, I'm like, I'm like, these emotions are like what drives kids. You look at Jordan Heitmer, Julie Grosso, Dad Riviere, they didn't qualify for that U twenty World Cup, right, with Bev. Um and uh like there were and I think there's more I'll probably just have mentioned the kids that I that I remember having the having the help with in our environment afterwards, but like um, you know, that that will have like really shaped them and, and what comes next. I haven't spoke to any of them about it but like winning and losing is so important yeah I wanted to before we move on to other stuff you said something when Reen was asking you about your prep going into this qualification process and you said lucky and then you tried to reframe it but in a way that's due to Greg Kerfoot and him sort of supplementing what limited resources we do have in Canada and that goes back I mean I played for the national team from 99 until 2009 and by and large, the the bulk of the support and the time that we had together in terms of preparation was thanks to that man. So, I mean, th- there's we, ha- we have to sort of take care of our national teams if we want to see them have success. So I know Canada soccer has limited resources. But we have to be supporting you better. We have to be supporting these young players in, in a better way to so that they can have success. And it doesn't just happen by by accident. But to that, you mentioned the positives were the individuals that you saw shine. But pulling players out of those respective NDCs, they play a very possession-heavy style, a short game. These are highly technical players. Why do you think there was a little bit of a disconnect between those that or that particular playing style or brand of football and then what you guys played um, at qualifications where it seemed to be heavily reliant on longer balls and a more direct style of play? Um, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I see. I haven't watched. I haven't watched Mexico game back. It's too hard right now. But um, I, I might see my list for this week. But um, actually, like we probably varied how we played more than we ever have. Um, again, like I haven't watched it back, so I need to look back through it. But we, what we want to do is is short game, be brave, like pick your moments to play out under high pressure. Um, uh, you know, medium game, meaning like you clips into fullbacks. You want to make sure you've got fullbacks that can bring down the ball. Because if you play short every time, like teams will just high press you. They'll know it. They'll jump on you. They'll just keep numbers high and then less at the back. Um, you have to be able to vary it. And then your longer game, like we didn't use one goalkeeper direct, um, meaning like where you squeeze your team up and go long. Um, but what we do is like into or onto clips. So we're like, if you're if uh, you're uh, being high pressed with like let's say a front six against in your match up for numbers, then you use that in between space. So yeah. you know it's like I'm now going to clip the ball into like a wide forward off the front or a nine off the front to be able to pick it up underneath. 
and use your width. Like it, so for me, we, we just like to vary. Like it, it should be the same style as what you see at NDCs. Now, the difference is the athleticism of the teams you're playing against. Right. Like, so, um, and it, so when you're playing Haiti and their front line is absolutely rapid, you know, like how does that work versus when you're playing in League One? Like it's a completely different level. Um, you know, and then uh, for for us, it's like when we play Mexico, we played short a lot more than Mexico did. All they did was go long, you know, like so now they now they do it long with purpose. They can pull the ball down. They can they have underneath support. They use their whip. They're super technical with it. So for me, like, um, like our, our ability to vary our style is so important. It's not we play one way, it's like what's the opponent giving to us. And I think like like if anything, what worries me is that every single time we play any team in Canada, everyone's playing short. Everyone's playing short. You know, I don't remember <laughs> every team like that we play in CONCACAF gets the ball with their goalkeeper in their hands and that thing gets snow on it. Like you saw the goal we conceded against, <laughs> um, against Haiti. Like... Like that was almost on our 18 yard box by the time I was in the backs, you know. So, super important aerial dominance, being able to head the ball properly with good technique. Like, how to di- like direct play is is the number one build up uh, at CONCACAF, whether it's Mexico, whether it's US, whether like so. All of this we play short our whole lives. Like, like okay, good technical habits, absolutely needed. But it can't be the only style we play against because otherwise the first time you play <laughs> that is at like a big CONCACAF event, which is one of our big learnings from last cycle too, was I had kids that couldn't head the ball. Yeah. And um, and we uh, we went to play Jamaica every time the ball with the goalkeeper. I love it how I do this, by the way. I don't know what goalkeepers do. don't know what they're doing. But, yeah. <laughs> so, any goalkeeper are laughing at me right now. The uh, gets the ball, booms it. You know, and uh, and and then our centre backs are letting that thing bounce, and then chaos is yeah. where these teams live. But what they're great at is like lovely technique to like bring down an aerial ball and then link. So they want the chaos. That's what Mexico are fantastic at is like a big kick from a goalkeeper, and then like exceptional technique to bring it down and link other players in when you've got a four v four, for example, because say we're set in a high press. Yeah. So like. Yeah, those like, and again, I go back to Project Day, different styles, different, you know, strengths and weaknesses of players, teams. And I'm like, we're going to see a whole bunch of more different like styles, types of play. Like, and and there's not good and bad in football. It's like, like, because because youth football has been so much focused on technical development, which is important too. I I don't want to like take away from that. But, like, every team plays the same way. When's the last time you saw a goalkeeper get it and boom it at your back four? Like, we need to see that in moments yeah. to know how we defend it too. Yeah, I think, like, I really like this conversation, Emma, because I think as Canadians we have very high expectations of winning from all our teams, but there's not a lot of understanding of the constraints, the challenges, but also I think of how much our staff actually are doing. So. I'm, I'm sure you can speak to it better, but I mean, you and your staff are, are working really hard to try and make sure as many players are seeing that they're getting the kind of curriculum across this giant country of ours. I'm sure all your staff are, have full-time roles and other things as well as this one. You were just saying you're also working for the Whitecaps. 
Um, so I think it's important that our population hear what we're what you are achieving and how many players I'll, I'll reiterate how many players in Canada we move through our system. And yes, we need to broaden the base. Yes, we need to have different types of players. There's all these issues. But the fact that we're able to do that is the reason why we have Bev with a gold medal and also going into these next tournaments with these exciting young players that have come through our system. What would you say is the key quality that Canadians have that you've seen? And and don't maybe don't say connection, because I think that's that thing we come back with. I think we are very good at having bought in players. But what is it that Canadian players do bring to all our youth national teams and can bring to the senior team that's different here than in other countries? Yeah, like we, I think we, we talk about behaviors a lot. Um, so behavior over tactics is, uh, is number one. And uh, things like, like never turn down a 1v1. Like you're 1v1, take it. The game's as simple as that. Like if you're, if you're out wide and you, like I don't care if you're the quickest player or you're the most technical, I want to see what it is that you bring that's different to anyone else that's in front of you. And I think like, I talked about the wide forwards or the, you know, forwards within the kind of, I can talk about centre backs too, by the way, because like um, probably different attributes based on different positions. Um, uh, we, we've been talking about like for the past couple of years, you know, obviously how do we replace Sinclair, hence the forward probably um, discussion. But like you go like, what take you on rebounds, look and play forward. Like, can we be the best team at looking and playing forward? Um, because I think like transition is absolutely key to the Canadian game. Um, you know, get making sure that we have the technicians that bring, bring transition to life as well. Like, I would look at it and go, Jesse is absolutely world class at bringing um, transition to life. And we have the forwards that can work off her as well. It's not our only game, but like you go, what we are absolutely world class at, it's that as well. Um, and then you go like with the defending, it's it's front foot mentality like nobody gets beat when you're one v ones um uh you go like for for me defending behaviors it's like it's it's a mentality it's a mental toughness to make sure you're um you're winning your individual battles and and again like you're doing that for your teammates too i think like i go back to like behavior first over any tactics and i think like for for us like it's it's what you do when you're out there and the impact that you that your behavior is having you your strong mentality that that brings to life any tactics that we want to be playing in it yeah nice I wanted to ask you, um, Emma, one last thing, and you touched on it right off the hop was actually one of the questions I had about meaningful competition. But given the the history you've had and the places that you've had the opportunity to coach and to play um, in the UK, for example, I think Green was telling me you were the assistant coach for Liverpool women. Um, you grew up and play in, in, played in New Zealand. You played in the US. What's the one obstacle or thing lacking in Canada here in order to create that that meaningful competition. I think Project 8 goes a long way into to helping that along. But in terms of the age group that you're working with specifically, what can Canada do better? Meaningful competition. Like, I mean, this is this is one that we just like wreck our brains for all the time at NDCs. I think honestly, under the current structure, because you've got to what you're balancing is best for best, which is a super, super important principle um with the top players like they need to be challenged by each other um 
and that that talent pool you know when you don't have senior players they are their best competition I know you're saying like if you can't use project date as your answer but I'm like I like we we need professional football like we we absolutely need it like these kids like I look at for example that goalkeeper that makes a fantastic save on Annabelle in the first couple of minutes right we should start in goalkeeper for a Mexican pro team mm-hmm. you know like understands how to manage key moments in the game has the maturity to like you know to to lead a team like that you know like and I'm not saying like it, we have to just go it's outside of our control I think like a meaningful competition comes through these kids not being the best players um, already in Canada it comes from the NDCs not winning every league that they that they play in so like the best kids in all these NDCs should be pros like loads of them should be in that mix of you know, we've got eight teams or whatever it is, like they, they need to be in amongst the back end of the roster fighting for a spot, like, you know, learning what that feels like. And then when you earn it, making sure you keep it, like all these emotions, like we can't replicate that with NDCs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, what we, what we can do um, outside of obviously the national team needs to play more games. Like the more, the more connected you are as a group, the more, the more, you know, you understand each other's partnerships, the more, you know, instinctively where each other are moving, of course, like that's a, that's a given, but outside of that, it's, we have to take the kids overseas really to be beaten. Um, and like, don't get me wrong on an individual game. People can say, Oh, NDC Ontario didn't beat X, Y, Z, but it's like, yeah, but you watch the game and they're set and like, they're not being challenged athletically or technically you know like so they need to be beat by a like with like sort of opponent so take them overseas we do things like that maybe within our groups but yeah boys like (laughs) with what we currently do I I think we've really stretched like you've had sort of top minds working on what these kids can be doing I think the real answer is they need professional football like every other country in the world has Yep. And you, t- you said the word a number of times and it's a word that Rian likes too, and it's being innovative. I think that's what we have to be with, with project eight um, and how we're approaching it and how we're developing players, but also in how we're finding games. And then maybe that's the tipping point for not making the allure of, of NCAA, but saying that's not the only option that like that's developing you for three or four months of the year versus as you talked about that goalkeeper who's training in a professional environment day in day out the entire year you just you can't compete with it so i think we start to chip away at that with project eight with the professional domestic league and then finally giving these players that challenge and as you said it's the mental the the physical rigors of of adapting with that constantly and that's where you see like the ebbs and flows and you have to cope with it for better or worse but then you're you're better for it on the other side yeah yeah, I like I. It's no secret I'm not a fan of like NCAA um, for our top kids. I think like the moment professional football comes into Canada, like I I, I want our best kids playing in in that league. That's uh, feel strongly about that. I, I should like NCAA is a great you know like experience. It's a you know like. You talk about feeling emotion within football. Kids will learn that, like for sure. Education super important, of course, but not not for everyone. But like a lot of people will hold that in high regard. Um, 
you know says the history major (laughs) yeah but like I in terms of football it's not good enough the level's not good enough so like look at all the best US kids they're not playing in it like we need to stop our best kids going in that league we need to keep them here in Canada um and like nobody else cares about Canadians but us like we, we can want other people to care about it they don't like I can tell you that from working in other leagues as well. They like, like the only people that will take care of the best Canadian kids will be our league, you know. Like, and some of them, you know, short term, whether it's they start with us, they build, they they learn how to be a pro in Canada, and then maybe they they move on initially, you know. Like, we've still set them up for success with whatever that chooses to be next. I also think Canada is a big enough country that we can be a top league in ourselves too over time you know and for like just for these kids the environment a professional environment for Canadians is going to do wonders for our game um and I'm like I'm a massive supporter that as soon as it's there like I would encourage all of our best kids to be staying home playing in that Canadian Premier League yeah I think to to add to that we've got pretty wicked uh, universities here in Canada so um, I think to be very clear, we're, I think all three of us would be huge fans of education as well as sport. And it's how we have that here at home and our players don't feel like they have to go abroad to get that. So I'm hearing what you're saying. Like it's, this is right now, part of our pathway in Canada is an American system. And I love what you said. Like the only people that really care about Canadians are Canadians. Like they are entities in the U S of course, they have to win there. There's a development issue there because there's so much, of a winning mentality in such a short season. So it really isn't about maybe technical development and player development unless um, unless you're at a very special school and not all of them are able to deliver that. So hearing what you're saying loud and clear. Um, yeah, Emma, for, just thank you for your honesty and clarity. I like, I, I've known you for a long time and I really enjoyed watching your team play. I was heartbroken for you in the group, um, but very excited about the talent. And I think you highlighted it again, that this is a a big setback and you can't say it's not, it's so painful for you, your staff, for the players. Um, But I have no doubt that a huge chunk of that team is going to go on to represent the twenties and probably the senior team as well. And your, your hard work in making that happen is very obvious to me. Um, I've been a part of the system. I know what you're working with and against. Um, so uh, it sounds horrible and I know you're not ready for it, but congratulations for the work you're doing with that group. Cause it, for those in the game, we see it and, uh, it's exciting for the future and for project eight. Cause we've got a, a wealth of, uh, talent to, to choose, uh, to choose from because of you and, and your staff. So thank you. No, I really appreciate that. I think like, you know, you you sort of sat there when you hear that there's two spots in CONCACAF and you're like, you're like, <laughs> how? <laughs> because there's so much shit. Like, Haiti are a good team too. Like, and uh, yeah, you, you're like, but when you hear it, you're like, what a challenge. Like, I would never want to be that person that goes, ooh, we haven't beat them in 12 years and now there's only two spots. Like, I want to be, all day I want to be that person that throws everything into it and if that means that you come up short in the hundred and whatever minute then I'd much rather be that person and I know like for the team like they're that as well like they're they 100% believe that they can beat Mexico this group 
I hope it, I won't be the head coach of the twenties because that's Cindy. But like, I hope I hope this hurt drives them like like that. You know, to to miss out on a World Cup when there's only two spots. You know, well. The U.S. has missed out twice. They've not gone to two U20 World Cups. I told the group that, and they were like, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is, and it's uh, it's it's part of football as well. So, yeah. no, yeah. I think, like, you, you're right. Like, you go, what's our number one job right now? I think, obviously, the, the more the teams get invested in, the more players like the wider the pool and the strength of the pool becomes, which is important for Canada Pro. Um, I call it that, by the way. I don't know what we're calling it right. Project A, sorry, it's Project A. Right? <laughs> I do know what we're calling it. Canada um, Pro by Emma. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, in terms of the national team, am I worried? Like, no. Like, our last U20s, which – in my opinion, got wrongly crucified given their build-up um, in the last World Cup. Like they literally went to that World Cup, you know, on off the back of a qualifiers. So, like, but what they did do and what Canada Soccer prioritised is making sure that our top kids are better than other countries. And if you go, what did that U20 cycle produce? And you go, Jade Rose, Simeon, <laughs> uh, Olivia Smith. Would most countries be biting your hand off for that? And, you know, I think, like, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, you know, I know that we'll always have critics out there, but I'm like, <laughs> that's a good cycle. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can focus on an outcome, of course. And like I said, um, I think the better the teams become, the more the depth becomes, which is important. Um, but am I worried for our senior team? I think for the past 10 years, we've been doing something right in the youth pathway. Like, say, every cycle we're producing two or three, uh, like maybe even more, you know, within that group that absolutely have potential to play or are already playing for Canada and making sure that we, we give them the caps, not give them, they earn them, but like... Um, you know, they, they accumulate enough to where when they're ready, they're ready. And um, I think that's an important part of our strategy. We don't talk too much about it because it's like it's something that works behind the scenes and it's important it works behind the scenes. But, you know, how is our, our senior team able to sort of keep its head above some of the opponents we're talking about that at youth level may, may beat us as teams, but at, at senior level we still keep our head above them is is – there is things that go on outside of team performances that are important in youth football as well. Yeah. And uh, I'll just, one last thing, I know we're, we're done. We're not saying, and I think we've been very clear about that. Our pathway needs a lot of help. It's, it's not working as it should. We need a professional league. Um, Project aid is coming. We need even, we need academies. There's, there's work to be done to make sure that our players, um, have somewhere to play, but all different types of players. You highlighted that as well. Like right now, the reality is you have an eye for a certain type of player. That's your head coach. That's the reality. You need all different types of players that are giving, getting given opportunity so that we can keep that player pool as broad as possible, as varied as possible so that we give our national team head coach the opportunity to pick the strongest possible team. What we have been able to achieve in the last decade is 
miraculous. And I use that very carefully. It is incredible. Um, but we need help. Like women's game is only going up. We see that in the numbers and the attendance in the transfer fees that are being lobbed around. Like we are already late starting. So shut up, get it going and let's help you and your youth, youth teams, but also our senior team. And that's for, for us as football fans, soccer fans in Canada, like how do we help instead of we need to criticize that's important. Everyone's mm -hmm. involved and has a voice. Um, yeah. But like, let, let's make sure we're doing things as well and not just being critical of a system. That's all we have right now. So again, well done. And uh, I look forward to watching so many of your team go on to, to further their careers because it's inevitable. Yeah. Thank you so much, Emma. It was great having you here and you're welcome anytime you like. Hopefully yeah. you can come back and, and join us after, uh, you know, some more success with, with Whitecaps or, or next major tournament or, or whatever it is. But Rian, you said the broad player pool and here at the broadcast, we love a broad player pool. We love a broad player pool. But one last, one last fun little question, Emma. So um, who wins in a flat out sprint and who wins in a 10K between you and Bev? Oh, I'm the better athlete, though. <laughs> oh, just, you win all contests? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just all around a better athlete than Viv. Um, so, do you know what? Like, I was, um, uh, no, I mean, she'll say it too. <laughs> no, she's a better no. attack, though. Yeah, she, she, I know. No, um, uh, <laughs> like, okay, in a, in a sprint, yeah, I'm faster. But like, but I should be faster, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And then, and it's okay. Oh, it depends. It, like, oh, you know, she probably beat you after I had Jack. <laughs> that was your only window when you were postpartum. Or pregnant. Yeah. While pregnant. That's amazing. On a beach once, I think she complained about it for months. Her, her oh, poor little kid cramped up in the first two minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like so. Yeah, Rian's absolutely right because Rian's experienced this with She, she, um, she gets a lot of injuries and like a little bit of anxiety around injuries too. So, um, <laughs> but no, we didn't like play at a super high level though. So I feel like I'm justifying it now. But she, like, she, she quite you're open about talking. It. You're not even justifying. You're just knocking her on the head. No, with <laughs> you're you're digging a hole for yourself. It's okay. There's another twenty days before she's home, so we're good. Oh, good, yeah. good. Just <laughs> finish Love it. Thank you so much, Emma, for for your honesty, for being so candid with us, and we appreciate your time. That was awesome. No problem. All right, guys. See you later. Bye bye. Thanks, Emma. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365 day returns. What up, Primers? It's JC, that guy. Don't miss a second of Premier League action only on Fubo TV. Subscribe at FuboTV.com slash Footy Prime. With Syria, League One, and One Soccer 2, you can get it all at FuboTV.com slash Footy Prime. Now, back to the show. That was great. Yeah, so nice. I love, um, I love the honesty, but also the clarity in it. It is so it's so painful to watch our youth teams not be successful or qualify. Um, but when you hear Emma talking about just this group and how excited they are, how good they are. And then I forgot, like they haven't beaten Mexico in 12 years. But as Canadians, we're like, of course we should win. You're like, they've had a professional league going for 10. Like, these players are playing professionally in other countries. And for us, they're playing for their NDCs, which are great. But they don't play any games. Like, what? Our expectations are insane for what we're able to actually provide our youth. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. They're, they're probably unfair. They are. Unfair. I mean that. I mean that was huge. Like that kind of stopped me in my tracks. Twelve years, and Haiti too. I mean, a country that has done so incredibly well, just being brutalized by earthquakes, by natural disasters. They brought their team together in Port-au-Prince, and they train together every day. And two of our most exciting players coming out of CONCACAF have been Haitians playing mm-hmm. abroad. Um, just in amazing opportunities um, they're able to deliver these players because they have them playing full-time together. And so beating them in that third place, I mean, they Canadians played really well after a huge disappointment. So I was, I was proud of them. I watched that game and I watched a lot of that tournament and yeah, I thought they were unfairly um, criticized. Yeah. And to hear Emma talk about um, Annabelle and she mentioned her twin Isabel as well, battling injuries. I mean, and she's, she's their big gun. Right. She did. Did Annabelle not help the 20s qualify for the for the U20 World Cup? Was it not her goal that sent them through? Did the 20s qualify? Yeah. The 20s are going to be at the at the U20 World Cup. Are they not? I should have done a little bit more research. (laughs) I think that they have. But I think she did that already this year. And then she gets to she got to also compete with the 17s. Yeah, I mean, look, there's some really exciting talent and and Emma plays it's it's hard it must be so hard to be married to the national team coach. There's all these like, oh well, da-da. but but she's the better athlete. She's way, yeah, clearly. But also, I mean, in her own right, I've worked with Emma before before they were married and she's a top coach who um is Canadian. She has a very strong New Zealand accent, but she's really grown up here in Canada. She's given so much to our system. Um, so many of our youth team, youth team players have come through her white caps, you know, Jordan Heidema, Jade Riviere, Julia, uh, Grosso. Julia Grosso, or just to name a few, you know, we had, um, Emma Reagan as well came, came through and she's, she's playing professionally. There's a bunch of others I'm missing right now, but has been a big part of our pathway. And, um, it's, uh, I mean, we're, we're lucky to have such, such great coaches and staff as she didn't get to talk about it much, but it's really easy to not Canada soccer, but the, the amazing people that are working there in all different capacities that are doing sort of two and a half jobs, not one and a half, mm-hmm. to try and give opportunity to our young players and success to them. It's, uh, it is amazing. And we must have one of the best rates in the world at produce, at like bringing players through our system. It's not ideal. It's, I have so many gripes against it, but it's not, it is amazing what we are doing with what we have. And Emma's a great example of that. And we'll call her Bev again. Good God, what I can. <laughs> That's going to be our promo clip, Rhea. Oh, <laughs> I think I was on the phone with Bev the, Bev the other day and I called her Emma. 
So well, there you go. You know, I'm equally rude. <laughs> I, you know what came to mind there? Tit for tat. I hate that expression. Don't you? Yeah, just, uh, I'm, I'm a twin. Everyone calls me my sister's name. I'm used to like, yeah, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens. You have so many sisters. You're- I'm not even a twin. And I get my, my dad still calls me Cindy, Sarah, Bonnie, Amy. Yeah. And then he gets to call me the dog's Amy. name. You're fine. This is <laughs> Hey, we talked a little bit about the amazing Haitian uh, players coming through, yeah. but um, did you see the the huge transfer fee that just happened last week um, for a Madrid player moving to the NWSL? Over 800,000 euros. It's insane. <laughs> and just a couple of weeks prior, it was Jesse Fleming moving from Chelsea to Portland that had set the transfer record. And then all of a sudden we're going, that was at 300? Or like just below, and now we're up to 800. Yeah, I'm, Zambia's Rachel Kundanaji yeah. has, has become the most expensive women's footballer in history after joining Bay FC from Madrid. I mean, it's, it's, and then you see Arsenal selling out the Emirates. And then, um, yeah, I just, the women's game right now for Project 8, and let's be clear, we're both biased and pretty excited about it, but mm-hmm. we keep saying we're late, but actually, like, this is, there's no excuse. Like, we've got we've to get going, and, um, and it is such a moment in the women's sport with PWHL and the viewers. I mean, I'm, I love it. I was just tra- talking to Jane Hefford the other day and just how incredible the women's athletic landscape is right now and how proud I am to be a part of it is, is amazing. Yeah, as am I. And, and seeing them, there's because they were at the Madame, um, initially the Athletic Center, the old Maple Leaf Gardens, um, which is, I think, like 5,000, 6,000. And then they sold out Scotiabank, Minnesota. They set records. It was like 13,000 and change. So I think every franchise has broken attendance records and it just keeps growing. Like Mary Philip Poulain getting booed in Ottawa. Like fucking bring it on. Like that's great. You know, it's like it's like it's it's the new original six, right? I love that too, that that story, that alignment, you know? Yeah. And uh I'd I'd have to say that it is a moment in women's sport, but for Canadians, I've never seen a country more hesitant in terms of investment. It's crazy how much investment in the PWHL and in our league right now comes from abroad because Canadians, we're so critical. We're, our expectations are so high, but we are so hesitant to actually like those of those of our Canadian population who have money. Why are you not helping? <laughs> yes. It's wild. Yes. I'm, rich people who subscribe to the broadcast. Rich, are they listening? Like we're talking to you, that <laughs> one person. It is really irritating. But um, but what is great is seeing, you know, what's happening in, you know, the the UK, what's happening in Europe, what's happening in the US um, in terms of that investment now being put in. And um, usually Canadians follow quite nicely. I'll bash my kind. So hopefully we, we show some real real growth here and then Canadians will get on board and start to start jumping in themselves. Um, but we do have a. Why, good- why is that though? Why why is that about Canadians? For as as great a country as we live in, for as proud a nation I think we are, of one another, of lifting each other up, cheering each other on. Why are we so reticent to embark in something, to innovate, to start something that's Canadian? Yeah, we have to wait for it to to have success elsewhere or to piggyback on something else. 
I don't know. And, and look, you and I represent our country so proud to be Canadian, which is why I get aggravated. And we do have some incredible investors that have come in who are Canadian. So we do have, have a yes. group. But when I think of our population, how much we love the sport, how much we expect from it, there's a lot more to come. I just don't know where and why why we're frightened of innovation, why we're frightened of change. I just think we're so used to following in the U.S.'s footsteps. I mean, in every way. And that galls me, <laughs> really pains me to say, but it, it is true. I mean, it's, it is almost like we wait to follow because you don't want to be accused of wasting money or mm-hmm. you know, we are such a socialist. So like, don't want anyone to stand out too much, but yeah, uh, don't want to disrupt too much or make noise or ruffle feathers or whatever it is. It's almost like we're seeking approval somehow. We don't just want to grab something by the scruff of of its neck, but that's what our friend Diana Matheson has done, right? Yeah. I love that about Dee. She really is fearless. And uh, that's, I mean, that's what change involves. You got to take a leap of faith and sometimes you get it wrong. Well, that's how innovation occurs. And, um, that's, you know, PWHL is a wonderful example. They had such a short runway. I mean, they just made it happen. And I was talking to Jane. I love the conversation. And um, part of what she said was sometimes you just got to go. You just got to make a decision and go. And she's right. And sometimes we're so careful to make sure everything's a lot, you know, like we can't, it's not a known entity. We don't know like how it's going to land. We don't know what this is, but if we don't try, I mean, we're already late. Like, why? Are, what are we waiting for? Um, so that's what I'm yeah. so excited about. Is like, let's just jump. Let's do this and get yeah. our get our women's sporting fans mobilized, which the PWHL has already showed us. The, the women. I, I'm not a huge hockey fan. I am obsessed with that league. I love it, and I expect that's the same so to happen to a soccer game. You know, like just people that want to support women's athletics opportunities for young girls to choose whatever they want to do in the future and have a place to play. Mm-hmm. And not only like elevating the quality of soccer in a country, creating different pathways and like post-university opportunities, but everywhere, not just on the pitch. And I, I love that, that what you just said about Jaina saying you sometimes just have to go because, yeah. again, going back to our um, our lack of ability of, in, in innovation or our hesitancy around innovation or doing something, spearheading something. It's yeah. paralysis by analysis, right? Like just, right. just go. And it's uh, I, to sort of reduce it to a sporting analogy. If you're on, if you're on the pitch and or on the ice or where, wherever you are with your sport, you just you have to make a decision. It won't always be the right decision, mm-hmm. but you have to make that decision. And then the next time, maybe you do it a little bit better because you've sort of gleaned that experience from mm-hmm. it. So I think we can absolutely do that in this country for for women's pro sports. Yeah, I, I love the jail breakout in the PWHL. Like, the, and now NHL teams are talking about it. Yes, um, there's there's a the new penalty shot um, way they're doing it. Just I love that it's a little bit different. It's the same game, and I'm just reading about the blue card that's being that's going to be trialed, which is a new a new um, thing in soccer they're going to be bringing in, which is it's between a yellow and a red. Sometimes a red. Yeah, is- they're trialing it. But, but, okay, this is exactly what we mean about um, trial and error. Like, you know, VAR has changed the game completely. When you and I started playing, Amy, we could pass back to the goalkeeper and they could pick it up. The game has had to completely change because that rule. So it's an interesting thing. And um, I am a rugby fan. I'm from a rugby family. And the sin bin, you know, the, the way that players have gotten away with speaking to officials 
is abhorrent to me. I hate, yes. I hate it. So if this new innovation at the minimum creates some kind of professional discourse, you know, um, and as soon as you're disrespectful, maybe it's a 10 minute out, not a red card, you know, which is the harshest. Um, but but playing a man down for 10, 10 minutes is going to be pretty painful. So I don't know how it's going to go, but at least they're trying something to try yeah. and influence the disrespect, I think, that's happening between officiating and the teams and players. So I don't know. I think that's the most important thing is like I agree with rugby. I don't know if you saw it. It was on it was in my Instagram feed. It was a, a woman referee in rugby and she brought the two captains in and she said, you know, boys, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. We had the conversation before the game and you told me you're going to take care of your team in terms of discipline or in terms of whatever factor it was that she was addressing. She said, and you've not done it. So have you, how, did you lie to me or can you sort this out right now? And they're like, no, we can do it. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's what we need more of in, in football and in, in soccer. And so I don't know if we need more interventions. I was just, we talked about another pod on, on footy prime about the mm-hmm. fucking meetings they probably had about what color card, it should be like they, it's so many man hours and woman hours wasted, right? Trying to come up with the, the color yeah. card. So I don't think more interventions are necessary, but I absolutely do agree with you that the respect um, has yeah. to be back in terms of how the referees are treated. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't on that pod. I would have absolutely agreed <laughs> that this is a good move and it is an intervention. But if you can get away with VAR and those kind of stoppages, this is blue card, get off the field game goes on it's already shorter than some of the VAR stoppages I, I I hate how the game has gotten um I think it's it's it does a terrible job at at um selling the game to the viewership I think the example it said I was watching my nephew's game you know who's 12 and how they were talking to the ref I hated it I, I definitely had something to say to him and his teammates I mean I, I even even my nephews here who are like nine and t- like the the parents talking to the ref. I'm like, oh, oh, man, I know it's it's yeah. disgusting. So we need to start showing better example at the top levels. That's just yep. the reality. Um, you can see how much kids are watching by how they celebrate the same ways as the stars mm-hmm. um, so and see what they're picking up. So if this is something that's going to help that part of the game, I'm all for it. I, I hate I hate it. So have I been clear enough? You have been. And I don't, we might have to agree to disagree because I think you are a lover of attacking football. Mm. You love progressive possession. You don't really like the negative stuff. You want players to go and attack. And if you're down a man, you're going to drop, you're going to bunker. And it's not really going to be promoting that attacking football. But I would say that that is not always true. And often it's a team that's a player down that ends up winning games. It's that's true. So I think it will change. It will be a tactical change. Just just a new part of the game, just like in the works. Yeah. Has had to change the game and these big breaks and how you stay ready to go. And I mean, the game is always evolving. And I, I just think those that are stuck in their ways have had to adapt so many times now that it's ugh, like it is what it is. Like the game has to change. It's it's not working right now. Um but yeah, I love that talk with Emma and uh, it's such yeah. an exciting week. I loved watching Arsenal demolish Man U and it'd be interesting to, there's such a big gap now between three and four in the WSL, um, which I don't love. I think that league needs to get tighter. It's a big yeah. split, but at least there's three at the top that are right in the fight. It's yep. pretty exciting for and them. I love seeing Chloe Lacasse get starts because she got that midweek start. Was it in, in the Conti Cup? I think she yeah. started and then she also started that game on the weekend where she scored. 
yeah. And people were talking about the goal. I'm like, what a instinct, like, mm-hmm. you know, that ball was coming at her with pace and to be able to just redirect it was, was brilliant. And I love the fans while I think singing her name at the end. Um, we've got a lot of, a lot of Canadians that are showcasing themselves across the world right now. And, um, look forward to the NWSL season kicking off soon and uh, even more Canadians, Jesse Fleming playing down there and uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of others that are, that are showcasing and, and Sinky's potentially last season. Um, who knows, but uh, it'll be nice to see those two playing together for, and Janine obviously from the same team. Yeah. Looking forward to it. And we should mention as well, cause we talked about um, that record transfer fee, mm-hmm. but uh, going to Bay, but there's also, she joins, uh, Rachel Kundanaji, she joins uh, Azizat Oshiola and then former Arsenal defender Jen Beattie at the new franchise, but also Lisiane Prou from Boucherville, Quebec, just down the street from, from me, not too far away from you. Did she uh, play with us for Laval? Were you on that team? No, I don't think I was still Cindy. on that team. Cindy was on the team. Cindy was on the team. Yeah, yeah. The my same. sister Cindy. <laughs> Wait, this goes back to our previous conversation with the same person. Yeah, I think Cindy, I played a year. Um, I stopped playing NWSL because I had some problems with um, with how that place, that was being run right at the mm-hmm. beginning. And so I ended up coming back to Canada and uh, I played for uh, the, Com- the Comet de Laval. Was yeah, Comet de Laval. What year would that have been, Marie? Oh, was it 20, I don't remember, 13 or 14? She must have yeah, been. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, see, I wasn't playing. The last year I played was 2009. Oh, I forget how old you're. And then... Um, <laughs> Fuck you, Rian. <laughs> yeah, was. I remember her. Yeah, it was. It's so. It's so nice to uh, to see her now playing and getting these opportunities. And um, I've no doubt she'll do well there. So exciting. Yep. Yeah. Canada, Canada continues to produce world class and very like outstanding goalkeepers. Yeah. What are we doing? Like, we really need to. It's. It's so obvious to me. Like the goalkeeper quality that we've got here is just. It's incredible. I worked with. Um, uh, Anna as well. She's at Harvard. And um, she, who, last name? Anna who? I'm going to say her name wrong. Copia. She, she was on my under 17s, but she's another one. I don't know where she She's obviously playing at university right now. But, oh, Kerpenko? Kerpenko. I knew it was a kid. Yeah. I covered um, she was in the U20s when I covered them last summer at the World Cup. Yeah. And um, yeah. And another goalkeeper that was with us is now signed for a club team in France. She left West Virginia um, to go play abroad there. So, I mean, honestly, our goalkeeping situation is is pretty amazing. And, you know, out of Vancouver is um, Aaron McNulty is the goalkeeper coach yes. who I'm mentioning because she's also a player that played a big part in our youth system when she was coming through. She played with me with Ottawa as well, but um, nice to nice to see. Um, then Mike Norris, who was a big part of our goalkeeper development. Now he's the head coach of Portland Thorns. Uh, so I do think we've got uh, – We've got some great goalkeeper coaches here across the country. And apologies to those I haven't mentioned. I know there's so many in in uh, Quebec and Ontario across the country because mm-hmm. they're doing a, an amazing job. Yeah, but despite challenges in our youth systems, um, in terms of pathways, in terms of player development, in terms of scouting, we yeah. are doing some things right. So it's important, I think, to to absolutely underline that and emphasize that and call out the people who are doing things the right way. Sure. Okay, well, do you want to add anything else? Nope. Thanks, Okay, Amy. well, we miss Claire. Shout out to Claire. Claire uh, was doctoring and, and lifing. So Claire mm-hmm. will catch back up with us on the next broadcast. But fubotv.com slash footy prime. Subscribe for uh, Premier League, Serie A, 
W Gold Cup starts today. Canada's opening game is on Thursday. And Tony Bet for any wagering you'd like like to place on, on those games or on Rian uh, taking down her messy bun and shaking it out like the hot librarian. So keep, keep, broadening your, keep broadening your horizons. Keep supporting independent podcasts. And cheers for listening. Bye. This episode of Footy Prime has been brought to you by Fubo TV and by Tony Beck. Make sure to subscribe to Footy Prime wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Footy underscore Prime and on Instagram at Footy Prime IG. Thanks, Ray. I got to pee. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.